A few years ago, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call the people we listen to. Are they clients, friends, storytellers? The thing is, nothing quite fit. We wanted a name that represented the type of relationship we try to build and the way we value those we listen to. But we struggled with to, you know, the right word, the single word that would accomplish exactly what we needed. And in the end, we were, we were surprised, really surprised to find that the answer was staring right at us. Someone, someone with a story to share, someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or who has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. This is our special sauce. It's our identifying quality because everyone is the someone and someone to tell it to. It's not just about us. We've never been about one-way relationships. We always hope to establish mutual relationships between friends who are sharing life's journey together. That means that you are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. It also means that we are someone. We have stories of our own. We value showing up and listening with compassion. We want everyone to know the joy of engaging in meaningful relationships. So it's so good to have you join us today for the Someone to Tell To podcast. Today's episode is with Adam Lippin. And in our last episode for season two, we, we know that you're gonna enjoy this conversation and we're gonna be taking a few weeks off and then launching a whole new season this fall. And we've really enjoyed season two and hope you have too. And we hope that throughout this season, you have been reminded, you who've been listening, reminded that you are someone and that everyone we've interviewed, everyone we've had a conversation with in this season is someone too. And we are proud to share that message because we believe this message needs to be heard. It needs to be known. It needs to be embraced by everyone. So thanks for being with us today and throughout this season. We're so grateful for your loyalty and for your faithfulness in joining us in these conversations. Yeah, so just so you know a little bit more about Adam Lippin, he's the founder and CEO of Hear Me app. Adam has written, I started Hear Me because there's a transcendence that comes from being truly heard seen and validated by another human being being seen for who we really are as a whole person without judgment there aren't many opportunities for this magical connection in daily life but it's silly because we're surrounded by people every day who also are yearning for these same things so i helped build a platform for making these connections possible whenever we need them and so you can already see the synergy that we had with Adam and, uh, and you'll hear more of this conversation and the connections that we, we have together. 
Adam, those words captured our attention right away. And you are definitely speaking our language, which is why we have been looking forward to having this conversation with you today. So welcome to the Someone to Tell To podcast. Thank you. I, I really appreciate being on and, and uh, you know, mutual kudos because I'm a big fan of the work that, that you do. So uh, I appreciate having this opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, well, just as we, we've spent more time getting to know more about Hear Me and getting to know more about you, uh, we always spend an extensive period of time, you know, preparing for our interviews just because we want to know our guests. And we'd just love for you to talk a little bit about Hear Me today and, and so that our, our listeners can get to know you and your story, but also to learn a little bit more about this, uh, this revolution, I guess you could call it, that you started. Thank you. I appreciate that. So essentially, you know, the concept behind Hear Me is that we, as there's an incredible loneliness crisis and there's an incredible sense of disconnection that's only getting worse in our culture. So under President Obama's uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who literally just wrote a book recently on loneliness, he stated that loneliness is the number one health crisis facing our country. It's worse than 15 cigarettes a day. This was way before COVID-19. Um, my personal story as it relates to that is growing up sort of gay and closeted and, and never feeling like I had someone to share like my authentic self with and feeling like I lived like with a box within a box, feeling very, very closed off. Hearing, you know, the, the Surgeon General say that spoke to me because it, it related to my own personal life. And I spent, you know, a good chunk of my life sort of trying to run away from people either healthily through meditation and yoga and unhealthily through drugs and alcohol ultimately realizing that the only way to you know, be human in this world is through human connection. And that's the one thing that I had a hard time with. And I recognize that I'm not alone in this. And so I really thought, how can I help address this problem? And that sort of gave birth to hear me. So one of the things I was curious about, just as we were learning more about, about your story, was there like a moment in time that, that's forever etched in your memory that you're like, that was the moment where I knew we were onto something? So, um, hmm. I think, well, just to back up a bit, because prior, so I had a restaurant chain called Atomic Wings in New York. I ran it for 25 years and I sold it uh, a few years ago. And I do love business. I love, I love conceiving and starting businesses and running a business, uh, but I wanted to do something that more aligns with my values. And for years, I was thinking, how can I do something to you know, make the world a better place to sort of pay for the sins of like selling chicken wings uh, forever and giving people heart disease? Um, so the world of yoga does not need Adam Lippin. It's sort of doing just fine. Right. And the, the and, and so I started a company called Cuddlist, which is literally a professional cuddling company to connect people for uh, for human, uh, for safe platonic touch. And the reason that I did that is because I looked at people and I sort of grouped people into general categories. And at first I started looking particularly with gay men and I saw people that sort of thrive and live happy, productive lives. I saw other people that were acting out in ways you know, that are not helpful to them. It doesn't serve them, but they don't help. They don't couldn't, they don't know any other way to get some intimate needs met and to feel connected to people and other people who sort of let themselves become so isolated that that loneliness sort of calcified into their being. So I started a company to allow this extract the medicine from touch to connect people with safe boundaries uh, and a container for safe touch to happen. In doing that, 
after a year or two, I started doing some really deep research in who our clients are and why are they paying $80 an hour to have a cuddle session with someone. And everyone loves touch, or a lot of people like touch, but what they really needed and what they really said made them feel human was the, was the connection, being seen, heard, and validated. And we started to have people say, hey, I just want to talk to someone. So I really realized at that moment that people crave human connection, they need human connection, and Cuddlist is still a thriving business. It's all virtual now, obviously, but that really we have an opportunity to connect anyone all over the world instantly with someone uh, that can hear them, see them, and validate them, and be fully present for them, and that I have the ability to do that. So that was the real genesis behind Hear Me. You also uh, mentioned in your, in, in your answer about uh, the book by Dr. Murthy. Um, it's called Together. Yeah. At what's ironic uh, is that Tom and I are reading that book right now and absolutely love it. Uh, what did you learn from that book? Uh, well, so I, I haven't read that book, uh, okay. but I will okay. tell you, so I don't, I've read a lot of his writings. You know, he wrote, he written a bunch in, in the Harvard Business Review, and I've watched some of his speeches. But, you know, when you said, uh, so I'll tell you what gave me the real genesis for this. So I literally was probably in middle school, and I read some book uh, by Martin Buber called I and Thou. And he's just a Hasidic philosopher. He's very dense, and I don't understand 90% of it. But I understood <laughs> the concept that uh, when two people connect, right? So if you look at yourself as a little I, like the, your, your individual self, right? And you become the big I, the sort of your, your universal self, your, your spiritual self, your connected self, only in connection with another human being. So that spoke to me. And I guess my whole life was like, I was trying to do that, but unable to do it. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but that sort of gave me a spark that I think germinated for many, many years. Well, okay. We actually had a question because we knew that you you have quoted Boover uh, before, and we we had a question about that. There was something that you you had written uh, that he wrote that he said that a person cannot approach the divine by reaching beyond the human. Right. To become human is what this individual person has been created for. What does that statement mean to you? So, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Like Swami Satsunananda said, the paths are many, but the truth is one. So you could look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and see the, you know, the uh, uh, self-actualization as sort of the large I. But for me, in my personal experience, I can meditate. I'm really good. I can drop down and, and crack and I sort of feel a little, you know, tear and, and I can sort of feel connection. But when I get out of meditation, I didn't know how to translate that into like my real life. It was almost like a little vacation. And obviously meditation has amazing benefits. I'm not knocking it. It's been really important for my life, but it doesn't connect me to other people. The only thing that connects me with other people is being connected with other people. And when I am in a real authentic way, I feel divine. I feel spiritual, whatever, however, whatever that means to you. It's like, I feel connected. I'm happy. I feel elated. I feel really good and so that's how it sort of Matt represents for me that, that that statement one of the things i was curious about adam is I, I remember one of our former board members who has this kind of entrepreneurial side of him uh, we like to surround ourselves with people who think creatively and come up with new ideas uh, it's just important for the future of our nonprofit, the future of our business and the future of our mission 
And he shares this story where he was in high school and he remembers back when soda machines were like a really popular thing when they first got put into a lot of school systems. And he created this idea where he was going to start selling soda pop and candy and stuff out of his locker because there were these soda machines that were charging astronomical amounts of money and, and high school students just didn't have enough money to pay for it. So they would never make the purchase. So he decided that he was going to start buying in bulk at like a Sam's club and he started selling out of his locker. And, you know, he's just, he's like this type of person who like us is just constantly thinking of creative ways and innovative, innovative ways to, to carry out our mission. Just like to learn a little bit more about your entrepreneurial side. Obviously it's been a big part of your story and how did that kind of, you know, come into play when you were creating hear me out? So, you know, again, an early memory, uh, and I've always sort of been conflicted because I love starting businesses and I, I like making money if I can, and I, I just enjoy that process. And, uh, but I had a conflict because of my sort of, you know, whatever, just about like sort of the, the, the morality of business. And I remember hearing Ralph Nader, who, for those of you who don't know Ralph Nader, is sort of the original sort of like, original gangster, like the OG of sort of consumer safety and putting people first. And he said um, that not everyone, this is not everyone that works above the 17th floor necessarily has to have a moral lobotomy. And that spoke to me. And it said to me that I can be in business and I can be a good guy at the same time. You know, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. So uh, for me, that gave me permission to, to do entrepreneurial uh, things. And so in terms of how it, relates to hear me is you know there will never be a i don't believe and if i'd like to be wrong but in general a public sector solution to loneliness and disconnection there's a lot of wonderful organizations working to address loneliness disconnection um uh, and at the same time and there's a lot of great work happening but all of the metadata for the past 30 40 years suggests an increase in loneliness. Cigna did a great study in 2018 and again in 2020, which states the rate of loneliness is increasing and, and increasing in a very significant way among 18 to 22 year olds. There's a lot of factors in place, social media use, et cetera. But the crisis of loneliness and disconnection and therefore depression, anxiety, heart disease, every awful thing that you can imagine is only getting worse. So there has to be another solution. And so my mind is sort of thinks business. So I always think, how can I create a business that can help address this issue. And that's how Hear Me was born. Um, so that's sort of. Yeah, we applaud you because, you know, we, uh, we're always thinking creatively of how to carry out our mission. And one of the biggest hurdles for us, and we're pretty honest about this, if anybody have read our books, I mean, we're a nonprofit. And one of the struggles is we, we provide all of our listening services uh, at, at a donation on a donation based uh, platform, you know, and, and, and so people pay as they're able, but that's been a struggle at times because, um, you know, we, we still have staff that we, we try to care for and, and, and especially in the midst of COVID and things like that. And so it's just been helpful to, to hear a little bit more of your story and how you've made yeah. this work. I wish we lived in a utopian society where money wasn't an issue. I mean, I remember with actually had an interview with Ralph Nader. It was one of like the big joys in my life. He interviewed me on his radio show 
and we were talking about the need why people hire professional cuddlers and i was like i wish the need didn't exist you know and hopefully it won't one day but right now there's a lot of isolation and loneliness and i was like you know and i have a friend who was part of the marriage equality in new jersey movement and when a reporter asked him like you know uh, what's your hope? And he said, I hope I don't need a job in five years. I hope I don't have a job in five years because it will just take care of itself. Unfortunately, right now, it's not the case. The, the, everything's getting worse. And if there's an opportunity to do something good as a business, I think it's a good idea. Can you talk more? Would you talk more about why it is, why you believe it is getting worse and how, you know, how is it getting worse and, and, and why? So the sort of the, the, it's getting worse as stated by Cigna, as well as a lot of other really, you know, well-researched organizations. Um, and, you know, it, it is getting worse. So according to Cigna, 18 to 22 year olds are the worst. I mean, there, there is a direct correlation that's been studied between social media use. People that are on social media for longer periods of time tend to have a higher, higher level of anxiety and depression. And, you know, therefore, you know, comorbid sort of uh, things relating to that. So that seems to be a pretty big factor. Uh, you know, one could argue about, um, uh, you know, sort of how, how kids are raised and all of that stuff. But I, I think social media plays a big impact on it. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in, in the actual reasons, but I think that's a, a big thing, you know, and like actually going back to the Ralph Nader, we went through culturally what happened. We used to live in clans. We didn't, you know, we grew up together as a community. We made our food together, right? And then industrialization happened and we moved out of the farms into the cities and people started living more separate lives, disconnected from their original community in which they were they grew up on. And, and we all know the past 30, 40 years and maybe COVID is gonna help, not help, but maybe COVID is maybe a, a little positive side is that we're getting back to sort of being with people in our lives uh, in a more significant way uh, because we sort of have to. But I think just the, the rapid rise of sort of we're all living alone now. And I think just culturally, especially in Western culture, you know, this individualistic strive for success and being afraid to share who you are. I mean, I think there it's not social media is designed to put a false narrative. You know, there's a great Buddhist expression. It's as we spend our first half of our life creating a personality and the second half of our life defending that personality. Mm -hmm. right? And I think social media just made it quicker and you know, harsher. And so we are not learning as much. We don't have natural conversations. I mean, I love going to the gym. I used to go to the gym and people were like, you could say, hey, would you spot me? And you can strike up conversations. I mean, I haven't been to a gym in a while. Pre-COVID, you go to a gym, everyone has a device on and you, you they can't hear you. And so those, the, the, our ability to have this sort of natural free, you know, conversations that just sort of ended. And I think that, uh, that changes your relationship and it makes it harder to connect when you have opportunities to connect. So do you think that COVID is, is continuing to make it worse? Or are there opportunities with COVID and the way we need to change the way we interact? Do you, do you think that there are opportunities for greater connection to happen? Because so of I, I don't, so COVID is awful. People are dying. People have lost their jobs. It is, destroyed lives. So I don't want to minimize, please, you know, on any level, the horrific destruction that this disease is having on, on everyone or a lot of people at least. Um, at the, 
so we actually here we did a study and what we realized what we found out is that the older you are the older you are the more happy you are with the social connections that you have and the more you're maintaining those social connections and actually improving those social connections in the age of covid the younger you are and part of it's just age you know you're so you know is is the the the, the harder covid is made your ability to feel like a social creature and get your social needs met so there's a really strong generational divide in terms of COVID as it, uh, as it creates social instability and lack of connection. So uh, the older you are, the more you've been able to handle it and actually feel closer. Like I know my cousins and I, who we would see each other like almost never, like once in a while at a wedding or a funeral or something like that. We get together every month on Zoom now, intergenerationally, and we have these conversations. So we're getting to know each other. That probably would not have happened. Um, so that's, you know, a good thing. Um, so I think it really depends on where you sit. So I think it's, it's necessitating rethinking how we communicate with each other and have relationships. Hi, I'm Lindsay Drew, president of the Jessica Drew Sunshine Memorial Fund, a Hershey-based nonprofit organization founded in memory of my sister, Jessie. Our mission is to celebrate her beautiful life by providing educational scholarships to students and support to other nonprofit organizations who embody the principles by which she lived her life with compassion, empathy, and the belief that love was always the answer. We proudly support someone to tell it to as their mission so closely reflects who Jessica was. A natural compassionate listener at her core, she was someone everyone in her life could tell it to. We honor her and the gratitude we feel for having had the opportunity to know and love her by paying forward her gift of sunshine that she brought to all of us. We hope by doing so, we continue to shine her light and inspire others to do the same. To learn more, please visit jessiedrew.com. As we were spending more time reading some of the articles and hearing some of the interviews you've had, we just love many of the statements that we've read of yours. And one that really stood out to us is you said that sharing what is on our mind and in our heart, whether it is something we've been struggling with or just some random observations, creates the space for us being authentically ourselves, letting ourselves be human beings, not just goal-oriented producers, is a radical and freeing act of self-love. We let ourselves be human. And so a couple questions just about that statement, and, and I think this would be helpful for all of us, uh, especially our listeners here. What does it mean to you to be authentically human? And then how do we best help one another to feel safe uh, being authentically human? So, you know, good question, loaded question. To be authentically human, um, means to me um, that I'm not hiding and I can show up without compart. I spent my life, a large chunk of my life, compartmentalizing different aspects of my life and I don't do that anymore. So when I come to you or I meet someone, I come as my full self. That took, that, that took time and energy for me to get there. Um, so when I'm not compartmentalizing or I'm not letting fear of not feeling good enough or you know pick an ism then i show up as my authentic self and the benefit of that is i then feel connected and i'm able to show up 
for someone else. And I think it's fairly evident, or if it's not, the way to make yourself feel better is to make someone else feel better, right? So uh, when I'm able to show up and be present in a conversation, my presence, my authentic presence, my active listening skills, you know, my sort of like curiosity, my vulnerability, my ability, my desire to let someone else be vulnerable can create an authentic connection, which gets us to the, you know, the big eye space. Um, so that's, that's how I think you're human. And I, I don't, I want to make sure I'm really clear that I don't want people to, who are not able to do that yet. You are still as human, right? We're all works in progress and none of us ever, you know, maybe Jesus and Muhammad reached the pinnacle of sort of that type of actualization, but all of us are on a continuum of growth. So, you know, sometimes we inadvertently shame people by preaching how to be authentic because it's not easy. So, you know, Give yourself permission to let time take time is uh, something I really believe in. We appreciate your perspective on this and it, it, being vulnerable, being open is very important to us. And we re recognize and realize too, that's why we were attracted to your writing, to your work, that, that you understand that as well. Uh, but we know that it is, it is difficult and it can be very painful and hurtful. <laughs> To, to be vulnerable uh, with people sometimes if they if they don't react in a way that um, you know that is that is positive to us how do we what do you say to someone who who is trying to be authentic that their authentic selves and yet feels as if people aren't accepting of them uh, or they feel hurt how how do we how can we encourage people? Yeah. So get beyond that. To, yeah. So there's there are a few conversational hacks, right? So one conversational hack is you say to someone, you know, it's really hard for me to introduce myself to you. It's really hard for me to start a conversation, but I want to practice. So, you know, so therefore, so you 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 practice and you practice and get up and try again. So I think if you're feeling something and, you know, Trust what your body, you feel it in your body first, like that concept of interoception. So tr practice, right? So just, I'm going to take a risk now and I'm going to be vulnerable. And there are also platforms like Hear Me where it's easier because you're not face-to-face. -face. You can do it in an anonymous fashion where you can practice. So if you can find situations where, you know, there's there's the, the, the comfort, the stretch and the no-go zone kind of a thing. So if you can find that place where you're, you know, slightly a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you're not in your like, you know, don't go there zone. I don't know if that makes any sense, but basically you have to practice a little bit and don't beat yourself up and be gentle. Is that something that you've experienced in your own life and in your own story that you could talk about? Um, so in my own life, you know, I've historically been very introverted and I've historically not liked being around a lot of people. I have a lot of I don't know if I, I don't go into a panic, but I go into a kind of a self-loathing. I'm not good enough to be in this crowd, all of that stuff. My mind tells me that um, I don't have enough to, what I have to say isn't of value and, uh, you know, people don't want to hear it. And so I psych myself out, I guess. And so what I had to really practice, I had to realize I can take up space. And I think this is something that a lot of people who are more marginalized have to deal with, that, that they, you know, owning their space, owning the fact that they're allowed to be there and that they have something to contribute and pretending even if you don't feel that way. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I felt like that forever. It's like coming in, uh, when you're hiding a part of your identity, for me, it happens to be my sexual orientation. Um, it's very hard to go into a conversation and to be present with someone when you're like not letting them see who you are, because then you're kind of constructing how you think you should be or how you think you should present yourself. So that, that had been a constant struggle for me. And even past that, I mean, even now, it's like, it's not easy for me to be naturally, you know, I, I always say like, how does everyone else know how to do this? You know, <laughs> sometimes, and I'm learning how to do it. And it's by saying hello. It's by being kind. It's by making eye contact. These little small gestures are really meaningful. Uh, but when you feel so bad about yourself, it's really hard to do them um, because you just shut yourself down. So that I practice that. And then I, you know, you just get better at it and you start to become more comfortable. I know when we wrote our first two books and we're in the midst of a third right now and, and in all of them, we, we express a significant amount of openness and vulnerability ourselves. And I remember after having written our second book, we had an elderly woman who had read the book and she sent us a message and she said, I, I love reading your stories because you help me feel like I'm not such an oddball after all. And to us, that was, that statement was like gold because essentially that's what, it, what it's all about. That's why we, we are authentically ourselves because we know that there are so many others that are in similar spaces and, uh, and don't feel confident or comfortable in themselves at that moment to be open and honest about it. Yeah. So one of the value propositions, one of the main, uh, why hear me like the, what I really wanted to get across with hear me is that our trained they're volunteer trained listeners and a lot of times on hotlines on sort of like support lines especially in therapy it's not not it's not designed or allowed for the quote-unquote listener the expert the person sort of doing the helping to share anything about themselves right it's sort of discouraged or it's not allowed that does not allow for actual authentic communication. That does not allow for vulnerability because you're vulnerable with someone who's who will be vulnerable back to you. That's how you forge connection. I've been in recovery for 23 years. I've been to you know a lot of AA meetings, right? And the, and the NIH actually studied sort of the helper model where one person who's helping another person who's been through something similar co-elevates both and they both feel better. Right. But if, if my sponsor, if I'm saying, listen, dude, I, you know, I was on Avenue C in New York for nine hours, like smoking crack and all this crazy, awful things happened to me. And this is how I feel about it. I feel like a worthless piece of garbage. You know, I couldn't, you know, all that stuff. If someone said back to me, uh, wow, I can't believe you did that or that's awful. You know, it would shut me down. But if someone laughed a little bit and said, holy fucking shit, you know, I once did this too, or my story is different, but for me, it was a bottle of champagne or whatever to create that human condition. That is where the magic happens right there. And when that's not allowed to happen, and unfortunately in most clinical settings um, and sort of these services that are designed to sort of solve a problem. So you, you know, you, and I think if you have depression, if you have, you know, clinical issues, you need clinical help. At the same time, a lot of people just need to share what they're going through and feel connected and not be shamed by it. And, and it's like a lot of us spend a lot of time just not saying our truth, that we're just afraid. And then when you get it out and it's validated back to you, it's, it's, it's magic. It's literally God speaking to you. And that's, and so Hear Me is designed, I mean, our training is all about like sharing 
parts of yourself to allow that other person to understand that they're not alone. You don't need to make it about yourself, but you want to, it, it has to be a conversation. You can't be one way because then people feel even more frustrated, right? You're going somewhere to get support, to share what you're going through and you're not getting anything back. So that was really important for me to make sure that that's really, that's everything to me. That's extremely important to us too. And we, we, completely agree with this. Uh, the, the importance of helping people for, know that they're not alone and that, that, and that we are human too, that we struggle. We have our own insecurities and our own, you know, <laughs> things that we, that we wrestle with and, and are, are uncertain about. And, and, and when people under, can understand that, that they're, they're not alone in whatever they're struggling with, it is magic. It, it is, it is sacred it 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 changes it changes people's lives and that gosh that that's vital yeah and um, we're so conditioned i'm sorry we're so conditioned to solve problems right or no one can you know i know what i have to do i have to eat right i have to exercise you know it's like i know what i have to do does that mean i'm going to do it how many times does someone says well just get eight hours of sleep or you know why don't you just do this it's like i know that right but if you give me advice we're just it, 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 we want to rebel against that advice. So then we feel bad for not taking that advice. Why don't we just try listening, right? There's a Tracy Ruby founded sidewalk talks and she says, connection is the solution. Solutions, not the solution, right? That for me, I spent so much time being stuck in my head. What if I could have spent that time getting, getting it off my chest and moving on. Even if it's as simple as moving on so I can continue my work or not feel so bad, um, you know, th those are powerful. And then, also, and really like it can change your life, right? You realize you're not alone. And so many of us, we're a billion lonely people out there and it doesn't have to be that way. One of the videos that we love, there's a lot of like great videos that just these short commercials or clips. And one of the ones that we love to show in our training is uh, the nail in the head video on YouTube. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't, no. Uh, you'll have to look it up. It's okay. great. For all of our listeners, you can just type in nail in the head. And it's essentially, it's a husband and a wife and a wife, uh, the spouse literally has a nail in her head. And the husband just keeps wanting to try and fix the nail. Like you, but if you just get the nail out of your head, you'll be fine. And eventually he comes to this revelation, like she just, I just, I just, she says to him, I just want you to just, just to listen. And so he said, okay, just tell me about it. Yeah. So, you, and he repeats back to her. So you just have this pain in your head, this throbbing. And then they end it by, in a very humorous way by saying, but if you just get the nail out of your head, you know, cause they hit each other, you know, their heads hit each other and, and the man in the, the relationship gets hit in the head. And it's just hilarious. There's a very funny rendition though. But I think that's a that statement that you made is is so profound. I think so many of us are conditioned to try and solve solutions with another solution, and that more times than not, that is not helpful for people. I mean, most of us simply want to be heard and and to come to those solutions on our own. And and yeah. what yeah. what it sounded like you were saying, and I think we 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 agree with this that most people they know what they need to do. <laughs> they, they know that maybe they need to exercise more, they need to eat better, they whatever, get eight hours of sleep. Um, that that's not what they're they're not not, not asking for someone to tell them that. Um, you want to be heard. Not, and, exactly. And, it's and, exactly about being heard. And you know, there's that old Buddhist expression when the when the students ready, the teacher will be there. So 
just let someone just be there for someone you let someone be there for you when you're ready if that if you're really looking for a particular solution it'll it'll sort of bubble up it'll come but uh you can't force it it's like forcing meditation you just can't do it you know and and one other thing you know and again going back to tracy ruby for a second it's like you know when you try to solve a problem you know when you give solutions what you're really telling that other person is you're just kind of done with the conversation right like you're you you're done. Like you're not willing to listen anymore. You're not willing to sort of as Brene Brown says, stay in the rumble, right? You're looking to end it, right? And so by you offering a solution is your way to say, I'm I'm not gonna stay with you anymore. You know, and it's a dishonest way out, essentially, for my opinion. I'd like to talk just a little bit more about mental illness, just in our society, in our world today. And we know that Hear Me App is a global uh, initiative and particularly in our country here, there have been a lot of famous people that have come out even in the last week, literally, who have come out and, and talked about their own struggles with mental illness. I know like two weeks ago, Michelle Obama did in her most recent podcast. Uh, just, I think tomorrow night it airs on HBO. There's a huge documentary about former Olympic athletes, uh, particularly around Michael Phelps and his struggles with suicidal thoughts. And I know in one of the articles that um, was written about Hear Me, and there was just this one response by, by a gentleman, and I don't mean to single him out, but I think it's, it, it's, a, it's an important comment that he made, and I'd love for us just to talk about it together. He said, so as long as we, or, or all of us, keep talking, our, telling ourselves there's a stigma around mental illness, we will continue to reap the expected negative consequences. Yeah. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, when do we stop calling it a stigma and just calling it something else that is, is just become a part of who we are? Yeah. Uh, I think the statistics that you had, you had put out there, maybe in the same article, was that one in eight people, I think, have some form of mental illness at one point in their lives. Yeah, I don't remember that exact statistic. And mental so first of all i live with two people in my life that are bipolar so i don't want to you know one thing we damage people when we when we um don't acknowledge right when we're not saying you know yeah you got something here and 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 there's support that you need to get if it's medication if it's like you know there so i don't want to diminish if you have a real mental health challenge um it's really difficult and you Stigma is an issue, cost, access, you know, the, the correct, you know, sort of combination of medication and treatment and therapy and just sort of, you know, moon cycle. So it's, it's so there, you know, that's hard. Uh, talking it out. So, so that being said, right, on Hear Me, there are a lot of our members express having depression or anxiety or clinical this or whatever. We're not there to solve your depression. We're not Prozac or we're not your therapist or whatever sort of clinical uh, thing you need. But we can help We can help alleviate sort of some of the feelings behind it. Um, and anyone with any issue, whatever it is, can still talk about what they're going through with another human being. And that can alleviate uh, feelings and make them feel better, regardless of your mental, you know, quote unquote, a mental illness, a diagnostic sort of, uh, you know, uh, something. Um, so I don't really know how to address that. I mean, I do know that, like, you know, I was lucky enough to be at a conference with Dr. Tetros, who's the head of the world, who's head of the World Health Organization. And it was, the conversation was about 
mental health care system in the world. And there's, you know, much less, essentially a lot of countries have a very, you know, don't even have a, a, a healthcare system, much less a mental health care system. And he said, he said the way that he deals with it when he's feeling really bad, you know, when it's like, what do I do? Is he finds someone and he listens to them and he gives them their presence and he lets them tell their story, whatever he wants to do. And he's completely available for that person and everything else goes by the wayside and he focuses and he puts his presence on one person and he can do that. Right. So we can all do that regardless of if someone has a, you know, a mental illness or not, we can all be available for someone and show our humanity and be there for them. And we will feel better in return. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we had talked about, I think, prior to when we press record today, it was just talking about the funding around mental illness. And we'd love for you to talk about your your experience. Sure. So uh, when I first started here, me, I, you know, I, I wanted to raise some money. And uh, I have a friend of mine who I know, whose name is David Gold. Um, I know him from AIDS activism a long time ago in New York. But anyway, he now has he he has. Uh, a, a company which works with foundations to uh, help support their initiatives, whether it's infectious diseases like malaria or, uh, you know, Ebola, pick, pick an infectious disease. And I met with him and I said, you know, I told him what I was doing, that loneliness is such a, a horrible crisis. I want to try to find a way to be a part of the solution. And he said to me, he's like, he vibrated. He just got back from a United Nations uh, mental health seminar or something. And that he was told that the, one of the things that they were talking about is that 15% of the global problems come from mental health issues. They stem from mental, mental health issues, but only 1% of the global spend goes towards mental health issues, right? So my, so he totally got it. He's like, yeah, let me partner with you. And so I have this amazing partner called Global Health Strategies, which is really, um, they do a lot of wonderful work in, in, in sort of, a lot of advocacy and, 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 and getting resources where they need to be globally. Um, so when you dive a little bit deeper into that, so 15% of the world's problems come from mental health issues. So my question to David and my sort of my proposition and sort of the, is like what percentage of those problems can be, if not fixed, alleviated just by human beings listening and offering presence and 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 sort of and being there for someone in a way uh, that's not judgmental um, and loving and caring and all of that stuff and empathetic using you know basic active and reflective listening skills as well as your desire to be there. Um, so that's how uh, that got going with him and I. So they're a fantastic partner, and they're really uh, they really want to help solve this problem and uh, and it allows us to you know get get our word out with some you know pretty pretty incredible organizations. I think just hearing some of those statistics around funding shows how far we still have to go though. Yeah, I mean it's not the the glo the, the the global spend hasn't really changed and 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 you know one of the things I talked about with David is that there needs to be there needs to be a private sector solution because like with all of the fund that, that there's never going to be enough governmental support if there even if psychiatrists and psychologists could solve loneliness could solve that that, that sense of disconnection that we all have well zimbabwe has eight psychiatrists for the entire country or at least that was two years ago 
right? So there will never be enough psychiatrists, psychologists, or trained clinical people to deal with loneliness. And it's just not, it's just not, they don't exist. Even if, even if magically all the resources happen, you know, they're just not enough of, not enough people exist, but we are every single human being with the desire to want to be present for another person, even without training, right? Like there's this guy, I forget his name, but he started this thing called the Shanti project uh, in San Francisco, which, you know, helps people with HIV and AIDS. And all volunteers show up and they say, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And he says, you know what? Your desire to be here, your desire to want to be of service and bring your full self is really all that you need. You know, we can give you some techniques and some tricks, but basically the fact that you're here. So I think many of us, most of us want to be there for another person, but we don't know how to do it. So what Hear Me does is sort of democratizes the ability to offer support for people and be there for someone. And so that's really exciting to me because I think that all of us need to deputize ourselves to help solve, you know, mental illness, mental, you know, all of these crises and we can do it by allowing ourselves to be there for someone and the rewards that you get from that are really great. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we uh, love the foundational principles of, of Hear Me. You know, things like non-judgment, no fixing, respect for oneself or others, uh, presuming goodwill, things like that. Could you talk, talk some more about about those foundational principles and, and, and what they mean to you, because we think they're very, they're, they're vital. Yeah. Uh, so there's a concept called unconditional positive regard um, that I love. And, and, and that means to me that you, you assume the best in people and you assume the best intentions and therefore you're, you, you show up with that. So you don't show up with a critical eye. You're not looking, you know, a lot of times we show up for conversations and people and we're sort of, we're developing our arguments or our responses back instead of just be an open vessel, right? So I think in order to have an open vessel, in order to have like unconditional positive regard, you need to have like some boundaries around it and you need to create a safe, a safe container for vulnerability needs to Without safety, without the feeling of psychological safety, nothing can happen, right? Then we're frightened animals, right? So, but if we can create a sense of, if we can provide psychological, uh, you know, emotional safety, then, then we're creating conditions for realness to happen. And so that's really how I see Hear Me. And that's why these boundaries, these sort of this container, this agreement that we're agreeing to respect each other, we're agreeing to you know, uphold certain conversational boundaries around topics, perhaps. And one of the things that's most important for me is, that, is this, the sense of empowerment. So if you're, if you're a listener, you're empowered to make the decisions that are right for you. So if someone's talking about something that you don't feel capable or it's too far out for you, you say to that person, instead of like getting all nervous, you say, listen, what you're talking about sounds really great. I'm not equipped to handle that conversation. Or I'm not, it, it doesn't feel right for me to have that conversation. And you bring curiosity into it. So if someone said, asks a question, instead of like describing what you think their motivation is, 
why are you asking me where I live? Say, I'm curious, why does it matter where I live? Or what, 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 what will that information do for you? So you respond with curiosity, so therefore you get information, and therefore, A, you check your assumptions, and most times we're not correct, right? Um, so it's really important to have a strong container. So a lot of our foundational principles is to set that psychological safety, to, to set the parameters in which to have these conversations. And for me, the most important aspect is that everyone feel empowered to, uh, to sort of allow their, to, to, yes, vulnerability is very important, but also psychological safety is important. So what do you feel comfortable talking about what don't you feel comfortable talking about and allowing that other person to know it's not something you have to feel bad that you don't want to talk about a particular topic you bring it in you relate as a person hey for some reason this is like it's it's bringing up you know a weird feeling for me so i want to express that i'm not sure if i'm not comfortable with the conversation that creates human connection so we try to let people set the conditions for that to happen i'd like to talk uh lastly here just about hear me app in terms of COVID and how you're seeing your work transition at all? Have you had an influx in people reaching out? I know in a recent survey that released by Hear Me found that young people aged 18 to 24 feel more isolated and disconnected by COVID-19 pandemic than any other age group. Uh, and we'd just like you to talk a little bit about why you believe this age group is having the most difficult time during this unsettled period. I know right before we hit record today, we were talking about the most recent news at Chapel Hill, um, North Carolina, where there was, you know, these these parties that broke out and 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 now all of a sudden they have to shut down campus again. And, uh, you know, just I think there's probably a correlation there. So, you know, we're social creatures and uh, and we crave connection. We need connection. And so uh, when that connection is taken away from us, when the way that we typically can communicate is taken away from us, especially in that, you know, the younger you are, your goal is to form connections. That's like your mission. And that's you genetically, you know, um, uh, evolutionarily, you know, designed to be trying to forge connections. And so when that's taken away from you, it's very difficult. Perhaps when you get older, you have it, you have some more of those connections. And so it's e easier for you. Uh, and that's why you see social distancing. And that's why you see the outbreak of COVID-19, uh, you know, in these sort of, uh, in those kind of spaces so you know we totally coincidentally launched the app in march when covid 19 started to really take off it was a complete coincidence um and it really uh so loneliness has been around forever and i think with covid 19 the the stark illustration of the need to be able to foster authentic communication and what happens when we don't have it became really apparent along with some you know i lost my job i can't leave my house you know a lot of fear and so when you have that the ability you we can't change COVID 19 or we well we can take personal responsibility but we can't necessarily personally change the meta sort of what's going on but uh what we can do is we can figure out ways we we can share about what we're going through it sucks i'm locked in this house i have no money i can't go to school i couldn't go to my graduation i mean we have so many conversations on the app about from people who are graduating college or they're in their whatever year and they had to leave early and sort of how to deal with that or i'm with my family and they're pain in the asses and i don't know how to get along with my brother and i haven't slept in my bedroom in four years and i'm back so there's just letting just sharing what you're going through these universal experiences and one of the things that's so interesting is like 
no matter where you are in the world, especially as lockdown, you know, you know, people, I mean, I've talked to people, you know, a mother of eight in the Philippines and someone from a very, you know, conservative religious family in Oman. And the, the, the feelings behind all of it are very similar, yet the, you know, the external situations look very different. Um, so we just share our stories. We share what we're going through. And someone says, it really sucks. I hear you. I'm locked down too. I hate it. I haven't been able to see my boyfriend, my girlfriend in a year, or I'm locked with my mother too. And I can't believe how, how much it sucks. Just allowing these conversations to happen helps to sort of like dissipate it and just be real. And it's a, it's something we can do. We can't solve, I can't solve COVID-19. I'm not a scientist, but I can be there for someone to listen to the story and share mine back. You can help um, blunt the edges a little bit, you know, kind of help to take, make it just maybe a little bit easier to live with and, and, and endure. That's what we try to do. And again, it, get back, it gets back to uh, reminding people that they're not alone. They're not alone. And it's something we all need to know that we're not alone. We're not. And it's like I, you know, like I said, I've been in recovery and there's this woman cookie who used to say park Avenue or park bench, you know, she goes, the situations are different, but the feelings are the same. Right. So, no, and, and I've had enough conversations and I really do believe this is true. We all have the same, you know, generally fears, anxieties, hopes and desires as anyone else. So when I put my head, my, my head to the pillow at night, I'm thinking about, you know, money, I'm thinking about my family, I'm thinking about health, I'm thinking about those, you know, fucked up, you know, whatever at work. I'm, you know, and I want things, I just want to, you know, we all of us have very similar feelings. We all go to bed, we all wake up. Um, our external circumstances are different. You know, we're, we're certainly aware of like, you know, you know, a lot of institutionalized issues, which create a lot of really awful conditions. But in general, you know, we, we all have the same feelings and we can all relate to each other. We just have to have the desire to do it. We, have the, we just have to have the desire to be present for someone and then the avenue to do it. So what I hope with Hear Me is that for people who have that desire, they have the avenue to be of service and they can also, you know, people toggle back between a listener and a member. So you can be a listener, really you know being wanting to be available for someone and share part of yourself or you can be a member at another time anonymously just sort of sharing what you're going through and have someone else sort of help prop you up and be there for you well, i think adam your work like our work is more needed now than maybe ever before and so we just applaud the work that you're doing uh we applaud the fact that you have this kind of entrepreneurial mind and, and spirit, but yet you also have this very strong mission oriented part of you too, and how you're trying to intersect the two and, and really make the world a better place, uh, a more holistic place. And we appreciate that so much. So thanks for taking some time to be with us today. If people want to learn more about Hear Me app, how, how can they do so? Uh, so you can download the app at here. Android or iOS, hearme.app or our website, hearme.app. Um, and my email is adam at hearme.app if anybody wants to email me. I'm sure I'm on Twitter. Uh, but essentially, you can download the app uh, on either App Store or just go to our website. Adam, we resonated with your philosophy, with your words, your writing, your speaking, uh, with, with, with what you're thinking right away. And so it's, it's been great to connect with you. 
and to uh, you know collaborate with another another person who sees these things the way we are, the way we do. And we appreciate your time. We appreciate your you know your efforts and everything that you're doing. So thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm feeling very validated, just so you know. And this is sort of like when we see someone, you're seeing me. We're, I'm reflecting back. You're reflecting back. We just want to make that available for as many people as possible. I'm a big fan of both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. Again, this is the last episode in season two, and uh, we're just really proud of some of the topics that we've discussed. Topics like empathy, loneliness, racial divides, activism, being in the arena, COVID-19, obviously, grief, overcoming life circumstances, and others who are in this arena with us. September marks National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we thought it was especially important to highlight it here at the end of this episode, because suicidal thoughts, much like mental health conditions, can affect anyone, regardless of age, gender, or background. Every year, thousands of individuals die by suicide, leaving behind their friends and family members to navigate the tragedy of loss. And in many cases, friends and families affected by a suicide loss are left in the dark. Too often, the feelings of shame and stigma prevent them from talking openly. National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month is a time to share resources and stories in an effort to shed light on this highly taboo and stigmatized topic. We use this month to reach out to those affected by suicide, to raise awareness and to connect individuals with suicidal ideation to treatment services. It is also important to ensure that individuals, friends and families have access to the resources they need to discuss suicide prevention Someone to tell it to and Hear Me app is here to help. So we thank you again for being with us, not just today, but throughout this season. We, uh, this is our way, uh, someone to tell it to's way of, of being in the arena. One of the ways that we can very publicly help people, we hope, to remember that they're not alone and help people to know that they are truly someone. We just wanted to take another minute to thank all of our podcast sponsors and to especially highlight the individuals who have supported us week in and week out, bi-monthly. Also, um, two organizations in particular, we wanted to thank Wonders Found Thrift Store, located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You probably heard their commercial several times throughout season two and and now most recently the jessica drew sunshine memorial fund that uh, was highlighted in this episode a few times and especially as we link it with one of our previous episodes with lindsey drew who is one of the founding members of the uh the organization so thank you and as we take this break now at the end of the summer we look forward to you joining us again this fall as we begin season three of the Someone to Tell It To podcast. So we say goodbye 
until we listen again.